at the Center for Education Research and Innovation, we're in the habit of asking questions that matter and looking for answers that impact. But how do you do that? How does a researcher get to that point? What we do know is that researchers are united in their curiosity. What we don't know is the stories behind the curiosity. Let's dive in. everybody back to another episode of the Curiosity Habit and today I have with me Dr. Christina Santonge from the University of Sherbrooke. She is a professor in the Department of Medicine and an institutional researcher in medical education. In addition, she is also the team lead for the research group in the pursuit of validity. Welcome Christina to our show. Happy to have you here. Hi Sarah, thank you so much for having me. Like I was saying, I just love this podcast and it's really a, a pleasure and an honor to be here today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your kind words and I'm so glad that you found it interesting because I'm very much looking forward to hearing your story. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. So as I was mentioning before we uh, got into the actual interview, I usually have uh, the same opening and the same closing just to get things going. And my opening is usually about people's growing up, just because I like to know where people get their curiosities from, from whom. So I wanted to know if you can share with us a little bit about your growing up years. Like, where did you grow up? What was it growing up in your family? And what did your family make you, make you curious about? Hmm, that's a good question. Even, I, even though I knew it was coming. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I think I had a pretty standard, typical childhood for somebody who was born and raised in a small paper mill town in the northwestern part of New Brunswick. So it's a, one of the bilingual parts of New Brunswick, although it's uh, majority francophone speaking people. Um, so I used to love to hang out with friends, uh, hang out at our neighbor's sheep farm and learn about the animals and discover nature. Um, I used to love hanging around the pool during summertime, but also doing reading. We had at the library kind of a summer challenge where you would challenge yourself to read. Mm -hmm. And I would often, to not say always, <laughs> take out uh, books about uh, scientists. Okay. So Marie Curie, um, not only scientists, but different people that have changed the world, um, Alexander Graham Bell, so inventors like that. And I would really, really love to read these books about uh, what they made, how they changed the world, but also um, their perseverance their own personal traits that brought them to their accomplishments. So that was my curiosity growing up, these peoples and what made them themselves, if I can say it that way. Right. Have you read the, the biography for Marie Curie from her, her daughter? No, no. Oh my gosh, that has been the most revealing biography. I'm with you. I love biographies of people who have done big things throughout history. And I read that when I was in my PhD and it kind of gave me a sense of 
when when I was really low emotionally in my PhD, thought, okay, if she did, did that, I can do this kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so what what specific maybe people or or memories you have from those readings that kind of gave you the sense I would really want to be a, a researcher one day. Oh my God, that came much much further down the line. Okay, um, I th- th- these were. And mind you, these were children books. So they were a lot about the determinations of the people. So I would, I would love and I would I read and reread Helen Keller. And I was so happy that I found it for my daughter like several years ago in mint condition, the same book that I read as a child. And it's a sheer determination of going against the adversity she was faced with. So that's really what I appreciated, getting to know the people, their strengths, their force uh, of getting through life. Right. So, so what about your family during those years? Uh, how did they support you in that interest? Or um, what else did they give you? So about my family, what you have to know is uh, my parents owned a convenience store. And I was one of the workers, I started working there around 12 years old. So that was from reading to the library in front of the convenience store to working in the convenience <laughs> store. So I started working there and I really enjoyed like the people and you have regular customers. And my parents had, you know, did their high school education and then went into owning their own business. Mm-hmm. And my grandma had a convenience store. So everybody thought that I would follow up and become the next convenience store okay. owner. But um, although my parents only went to high school, only finished high school, they started earlier, earlier, early on to encourage my sister and myself to explore the possibility of doing post-secondary education so while I was working uh, at the store and everybody thought I would you know pick it up or take it over later on my dad and my mom were encouraging me to explore different uh, possibilities or opportunities or things that I would like to do with my life so that was uh, one of the things growing up in my uh, my house like you would do your homework. How was it going to school? School was important. Reading was uh, strongly encouraged. So that that was their way of, of providing opportunities or helping us foster opportunities for ourselves. Awesome. And then you said that uh, later on was when you discovered that you wanted to be in academia. When was that and how did it happen? Okay, so that was like, two bachelor's and first year of master's degree when I discovered research. Awesome. I, Tell me about it. <laughs> so I had no clue where I was going to end. Started out, um, so the story starts in high school where I uh, joined a peer helper group. So I don't know if you're familiar with this. So these are, are, are you know, students that have been identified by their peers as good listeners, good helpers. Okay. So I think many many high schools in New Brunswick had them because we had like this, you know, annual get together of 
peer helpers throughout the pro- province. So I, I liked listening to my friends. I liked helping them. So I thought maybe I want to be a psychologist when I grow up. Oh, okay. So I started out in psychology and I have a bachelor's in psychology, but was looking for myself, I guess, because I did a second bachelor's in counseling. Okay. And I realized after those two bachelors that the one-on-one therapeutic relationship was not necessarily what I loved. Uh-huh. I, I love understanding people. Like I love knowing where they come from and that's the reading I did as a child and where they're going and why they're thinking the way they're thinking, mm-hmm. but helping them solve their problem was not necessarily my strength. I preferred a bit hands-off approach. Okay. So during my counseling years, we had a lot of uh, measurement courses, but the psychometric side of it, the testing side of it, because mm-hmm. in counseling, you do tests and then you say, well, you should do a doctor, you should be a hairdresser, you should be this, you should do that. So I discovered tests and that was really intriguing. How do you know that somebody should be a doctor based on the answers on a questionnaire? Like who thought of this ever? Who had this idea that just, you know, filling out a questionnaire will tell you what you should become in life. Uh-huh. And when I discovered that while I was doing uh, my second bachelor's degree, it brought me back, you know, to high school. When you meet the school counselor, the administer these tests, and you're like, really? I should be this? <laughs> How? Why? So all of these questions of where did this, these tests come from why do they exist how do we know that they're giving us the right answer that totally got me fired up and I decided to switch to measurement okay so I I I left the people the people person to person and I I thought let's go see like the numbers side of this and when I got into measurement then I realized it was so much more than I thought because it's not only these tests about people, like they're asking all sorts of questions. And I got interested in, in learning assessment. Mm. At that time, when I started measurement, I was going in to become an expert in tests. And that's what I would do. I, <laughs> I was going to go test people. Yeah. And I, I was not in the research stream. I was really in the, um, I'm going to translate it to the course stream. So you only did a little small essay in that stream, but you did a lot of coursework. And I got in and then I got to learn, to, to learn about learning assessment. And I was in the Quebec government was changing. K to 12 education to competency-based approach. And like, nobody knew how to assess. So I was like, oh, we have to ask questions. So my colleagues in my course were like, yeah, you you should switch to the research stream. You're just just asking too many questions. (laughs) You you can't just do an essay on this. You're asking really, really good questions about what are we going to do? so that's at that point that I knew that I was interested in in knowing more and and doing research and 
investigating um, the validity of assessment. So I switched and uh, I started on a, a journey towards a PhD in measurement and learning assessment. Okay, interesting. You said you did K-12 and at the time competency-based education was coming in. And now we are in that in, in the field of medical education. What or who brought you to this community? And yeah. more interesting to me, like what have you discovered that maybe you hadn't anticipated coming in? So that's what I think is another interesting story. Um, so, <laughs> so like throughout the switch to competency-based education in Quebec for K-12, I'm going to say there was little interest in assessment. Like there was an overwhelming sense of, oh my God, what are we doing? How are we going to teach? And every time we, we I'm going to say our group, brought up the question of assessment, it was like, no, no not, not right now, someday. And I have to admit that at that time, I got a bit discouraged. Yeah. And I decided to sidestep my PhD. Oh. Take some time away from the PhD. And as luck would have it, I ended up working at the Royal College of Surgeons and Physi uh, Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. And I met extraordinary people like, you know, Brian Hodges, mm -hmm. Rosa Tala. And I met Meredith Marks. Yeah. And it was like meeting, seriously, it was meeting academic soulmates. It was like, wow, these people care about assessment. Uh -huh. They really, really care about assessment. So I was in, a, in an environment that nobody had the time to think about assessment. Uh -huh. And moving from there to the Royal College where everything was about assessment because I was in the assessment unit, but everything was about assessment. And all the decisions were towards the assessment. And, and there was a lot of value given to assessment. Critical, yes, but it was it was finding home. Ah, okay. It was really like I'm finally home with yeah. other like-minded people. Right. So Meredith Mark, sorry, um, was a very instrumental mentor to many, and it sounds like to you as well. Can you share with us a memorable moment with her, even if it is small, that really anchor you in staying in this community? So it was in the Roddick room at the Royal College. <laughs> I remember it like physically. And she was talking about what she was, she wanted to build at that time, the Academy for Innovation in Medical Education. Mm -hmm. And the way she talked about it. It was like walking in the future hallways with her. She had such a clear vision of what she wanted to accomplish at Ottawa U for medical education that I, I couldn't help but say, okay, it's, it, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm going back, I'm doing my PhD, I'm coming back to Ottawa, this is where I want to be. That moment was it and it's I, I talk about it and I'm like oh, I remember where we were where we were walking 
And at that exact moment, I decided that I wanted to be in medical education. Well, it gives me goosebumps just to hear that <laughs> because it's such a life-changing moment and how, how motiva- motivation, how much motivation she gave you by the way she spoke. That's really, really cool to hear. Yes, yes. And, and afterwards, so I went back, I did my PhD, it changed a bit the, the, the topic I was interested in because I was influenced by, by my experience at the Royal College. And afterwards, uh, Mayor did help me to integrate medical education. She worked with me to find to help find a postdoc, and I did a postdoc. And nice. I've been in MedEd since 2007. Okay, okay. Yeah. So across those times, because so far you have been describing this in a very positive lens. It's not that I want to put any negative side to that, but more on the challenges. Um, coming into the community as a, from a different context. And I'm, I'm going to add as well, because I'm a second language speaker too, having to deal with the communication piece. What, what kinds of challenges did you face and how did you come up about overcoming them or navigating them? If you can share one or two. And I appreciate that you named the language uh, issue. I think that was the biggest barrier for me. Um, Like some of my mentors thought it would be the transition to an applied field from a very, you know, measurement conceptual ivory tower, we do research, you do research perspective to but here on the ground, it has to have an impact. But I really feel truly feel that the language barrier because it I, I'm going to say I still don't think as quickly on my feet as I do in English as I do in French. <laughs> I know you understand, so I can share this with you behind closed doors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that that was that was a challenge to to um, find not the words but my voice mm. to share my opinions to take some place. So uh, the challenge is that I became an expert as at, at flying under the radar oh. and doing things and not disturbing. Um, so the challenge is ongoing mm-hmm. <laughs> in the sense that I have to really push myself to find my voice and to overcome this imposter syndrome that is amplified by Oh, but I know what I want to say. Just let me say it in French. It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> but having to translate um, life is, is, is a challenge. Overcoming that has been just pushing myself to, mm-hmm. to step out of my comfort zone and accepting invitations like today and mm-hmm. trying to reach out to people. But it's, it's been, I admit, somewhat slow. <laughs> um, but you know, baby steps, yeah. baby steps. Well, I totally appreciate you sharing that because it requires vulnerability to, to share an ongoing struggle that many of us, there are struggles that we carry with throughout our lives together and you never fully solve it as to you like, I guess. Um, but in, in this journey of navigating that particular struggle, 
there ha has there been any instrumental people who have maybe pushed you a little bit more, who have given given you advice that actually made you go, okay, I gotta I gotta put myself out there, who challenge you actually. I'm trying to, to pick the people. Yeah. Um, so Meredith was one of them, obviously. Uh, more closer to home, there is uh, Martin Chambernan at Université de Schaumburg. Uh, I, I've been lucky. There are a big, a great group of people. She's one of them. That at my, in my earlier years, if I, if I would stumble and fall, they'd be like, okay. That's okay. I'll just pick you up. A little pat in the back. Nice. So that, that was really, really helpful. Having this community in general, the, the, the meta community is awesome. It's, it's, it's extremely supportive. So people like that, people like Lorelai mm -hmm. also, that at times has reached out and, and said, can I give you a little you know, push, a little nudge? Uh, I was fortunate to have Brian Hodges on the advisory committee for the research chair for six or seven years. So he was an advocate and we would have these conversations about, you know, stepping out of the comfort zone and, and, and just knowing that somebody with his gravitas and his reputation and his, this whole being is beside or behind you, uh, there to catch you if you fall, mm -hmm. made a big difference. Mm -hmm. Like the Lorelai's, the Kevin's, the, the Brian's uh, of this world, the Glenn's uh, of this world. I've, I've been fortunate to, um, I'm gonna say have them around yeah. uh, for support either moral or, or otherwise yeah. uh, through this time, but I, I I feel that is something that is very specific, very um, intrinsic to the meta community. Mm -hmm. like I don't see that in education where I come from. Mm -hmm. like, you know, cutthroat. <laughs> if you get a penny, I don't get a penny. So I'm going to make sure you don't get the penny. While in meta, it's like if one of us rise we all like if one of us succeeds we all succeed yeah kind of my philosophy so like these individuals were key but like no the lord that the, the layer of varpio's merited young aliki attempted babe you like all of this community makes a difference and you're like okay it's okay to be vulnerable vulnerable or stumble somebody's gonna say you know, little tap on the back, dust you off, yeah, and off you go. Right, and you, you make a very good point. It's, it's a unique feature of this community. I, I want to say part of that is because of we are still considered small, but we're growing. And one of the things that I think about is how can we amplify that culture? Um, in your own group, how, are you doing something in particular to help your trainees or your mentees to? embrace this kind of mindset? So not so much in the past couple of years because it's been <laughs> complicated, but yes, we try to bring in people for the trainees to meet, but in a 
uh, informal. Okay. So we will have visiting professors and they'll come by to my house. We'll have a barbecue and then we'll ask students to practice their uh, elevator speech. Oh, good. So then like the visiting professors get to know the students, the students do it in, in a less um, intimidating setting. Mm -hmm. uh, so we really, I, I really try to get my students to meet people outside the center, work with them when, and when it's possible, connect them. Like I have one of my students that's writing a paper with Christopher DeLuca, who's a big name in assessment for learning. And so I, it's, it's giving them these opportunities mm -hmm. that we try to build in. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because also building the relationships as people, not just as researchers. That's a great one. Thank you for sharing. Before I go into the final part of, of the interview, I was captivated by the name of your group. You're the team lead for the group In Pursuit of Validity. What's the story behind that name? It's so catchy. <laughs> You know, it was hilarious because when we did our big uh, launch, the, the university um, rector came and introduced us and he was laughing. He was like, who gives himself a name like in pursuit of validity other than Christina? Who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really from the work that Meredith Young and I have done and with Kevin and, and, and Brian about trying to understand validity and seeing validity as a journey, okay. not an end. So we were playing with names and it ended up, we're pursuing, continuously pursuing validity. So why not say the research group in pursuit of validity, this thing that sometimes eludes us and it's, you know, it just barely out of reach or just in reach. Right. But yeah, it, it was, I guess, me and Meredith having fun <laughs> trying yeah. to play with words and find a, a catchy name for the group. Well, when I read it, I, I apologize if this sounds a little bit silly, but I felt like it's like chasing a dog. Like you're about to get it and you didn't get it. And that's kind of, it's a moving object. And I thought, yeah, that makes total sense. It's a great metaphor. Yes, yes. And I'm from there, so your work is mainly in, in assessment and validity. And I want to know, what are you working on these days? What's, what's your current or future curiosity? So my current curiosity is driven by the pandemic. Um, interestingly enough, everything is driven by the pandemic. Uh, but like, like everybody else, when the pandemic came, I had to pivot to online teaching. Right. And I took the opportunity to really look at my assessment and ask myself if I could do better, if I could do different, because I had to do different. Right. So might as well do something better. And I was wondering if technology could enhance or augment the quality of my assessment. Could it be made more authentic? So I've been looking into this 
thing that they call technology enhanced assessment. Okay. Trying to understand it, what are the, the, the founding principle philosophies? How can we make sure that we're not just using the newest and shiniest bells and whistles for our assessment, but that we're really augmenting the quality of the user experience, but also of the validity score interpretation. So that's what I'm trying to do right now. And we're just, we've just pulled a team together. So hopefully we're going to start something soon. Oh, fascinating. That, that's great. I will be looking forward to read about it because it, it, it's kind of a, now we realize that we can do so much with technology, but we have to be a little more in, thoughtful about it. It's not just, as you said, picking the Chinese option. It's like, really, do we need it, number one? And if we need it, which is the best way? So appreciate that. Okay, I'm going to go into the last part, which I'm now calling the little things in life. So I have a few, two or three questions about just simple things. I wanted to know first, are you an early riser or a nighthawk? Early riser, okay. super early riser. Well, that's good because I wanted to follow up with how has it changed or what has happened since you became a mom with your daughter? Is she also an early riser or there are some clashes around? <laughs> She's a non-sleeper. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, like we rise really, really early in this house. She's, yeah, she, okay. she's in... She got her mom's um, insomnia and early rights. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, what can you do? <laughs> you can think a lot during the night. That's, you know, you try to use your time as best you can. You're a really positive person. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, my next question is, what's an activity that gives you so much joy that many people might not know about that you do? I have many, but I think right now it's bread making. Oh, okay. There's just something about, you know, I have my sourdough and I make my bread one, two times per week. And it's monitoring it and finding out the best strategies. <laughs> it's really, you know, experimenting uh -huh. <laughs> with sourdough bread. But right now, I would say that is the one thing that I do not want to lose after this pandemic is my homemade flour bread and like experimenting with flour, different flour, types of flowers. So it changes the taste. It's, it's a big thing in my house. Well, so that I gives know. me a lot of joy. Good. I, I, I understand that <laughs> it came while in the pandemic. Like what gave you the idea? Why did you get into this? Everybody was doing sour, sourdough oh, bread really? at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, why not? Like, let's try this out. It's going to be a new hobby. Okay. And I tried it out. And everything now is made in sourdough cookies, sourdough <laughs> bread, sourdough muffins, sourdough everything. So finding recipes with sourdough is a big thing that I, I, I'm really having fun with that right now. But wow. yeah. That's... I never thought I'd be this into bread. But, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to hear the different things that people pick up during the pandemic out of, okay, what can I do? <laughs> but on the flip side, 
Um, and we hopefully are going to be getting out is will never be normal as we used to know it. It will be the new normal. What are you hoping to go back to that you used to do before that maybe you haven't had the chance to do as much before? So I would say that one thing that's very different is the lack of in-person conference. Mm -hmm. um, so that is one thing that I'm missing. Like I, I've uh, adopted and implemented virtual coffees. Okay. So I have these regularly, like the Friday afternoon is virtual coffee time. So I meet either with junior faculty members, my students, colleagues from other universities and mm -hmm. chat. But having those in person would be really, really nice. Yeah, I agree. So that, that would be a, a one thing on the professional side of things that I would like to see going back to normal okay okay yeah i agree with you i'm kind of wait to have conferences in person okay now i'm doing this since a few episodes ago where i'm, I'm picking a card out of a box that i have here uh, and i'm going to choose just random one and see what's your question for today okay oops okay the question says if you could work as an assistant to anyone for a year, who would you choose? It can be alive or not, a person you admire. I, this is not original for those people that know me, but I will have to see Bruno Zumbel. I would like to learn a bit more uh, from him. So mm -hmm. if I could be his assistant for a year, why not? What would you Why like not? to learn? Other than the fact that I think he knows everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> I really appreciate his, his perspective on, on validity. So he's a statistician by training, mm -hmm. but has a really nuanced approach to validity and uh, the place that human judgment takes within the, the discontent within validity. So he sees validity as more than just psychometrics and statistical analysis. And just picking his, because I imagine now as an assistant, I could pick his brain. Yeah. So picking him, picking his brain for a year just seems like candy. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun. So yeah, I would, I, he uh, makes links. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about translation but he puts things together that I just need time to unpack oh. and understand where he comes from and how did he get there. Okay. So that might take a year to do that. Good choice. Thank you. My last question, which is again a standard question in the podcast is I'm also, and this is out of my own curiosity. If you hadn't chosen to be an academic or if you just didn't happen to stumble into academia, what do you think you would have liked to be doing? So I'm going to pick the answer yeah. that I used to pick when I was doing my PhD and tired of doing my PhD and was saying, well, I'm going to go and open up a bed and breakfast. Oh. <laughs> so that <laughs> all, of, all of us, all of the colleagues doing the PhD, I had our imaginary, <laughs> you know, 
far away from academia profession <laughs> that we would just go to our, you know, unicorn dreamland and say, okay, for today, I just don't think I'm going to do academia. So I would have this bed and breakfast and I would teach how to make quilts, wow. like weekend workshops. So you quilt? Yes. Oh, okay. Now, now yeah. I'm more curious. Like, where did you pick that up? Uh, that I say I inherited from my grandmother, oh, grandma and my mom. Both are crochet. My grandma crochets and I crochet. My mom uh, does quilts. So I quilt also. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool that generations actually it has stayed in the family because it's so rare that people do that these days. I appreciate yeah. a nice quilt for sure because I don't have that ability and I find it so pretty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Maybe we should talk offline. I'm interested. We should. Yeah, teach me. <laughs> Christina, it was a great pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate your time and the stories you taught us. It was really entertaining and I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was nice to get to chat to you with you for a little while. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for joining today. Um, we'll see you in another episode. Talk soon. This has been The Curiosity Habit. This podcast is hosted by Saira Cristancho and produced by Monica Molinero. You can find all our episodes on podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.